continue our series, The Me I Want to Be, and I'm so glad that you're here. Whether you've been here many, 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 many times or you're like newer to our church family, I'm just glad you're here. And the reality is today, uh, we're going to talk about something. We're going to spotlight something in the next few moments in this talk that has enormous bearing upon something that creates a lot of problems in all of our lives. And you may be wondering, well, Jeff, what are you referring to? And that would be a lack of self-control. And all of us struggle with this in some area of our lives. All of us are affected in some way uh, by a lack of self-control. For example, uh, why can't I break a habit? I'd really like to be able to break this habit, but I'm struggling to break this habit or this addiction, and I'm tired of it, and I'd like to break it. Why can't I? break that addiction or that habit or that struggle. How about this one? Why can't I get out of debt? I'd like to get out of debt. I have plans to get out of debt and uh, I made some progress, but then it seems like I fall back into that trap again. And it seems like I spend money that I don't have on something I really don't need. Have you ever heard that expression that sometimes we spend money to buy things to impress people we don't even like? And uh, why, why, do I, why do I do that? Why do I run that credit card? You know, and why? And again, there's this struggle. Why can't I keep a job? Why can't I advance in my career? Why can't I lose weight? Why can't I grow in my walk and relationship with God? Why can't I do that? Why can't I cultivate some of the self-disciplines that would really help me to be able to do that? Why can't I, you know, get in better shape or why can't I have better health? You know, and a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times, uh, you know, we struggle with things as a result of lack of self-control. Now, here on the front edge, uh, let me just tell you a little example. And this is very recent. It happened this past week. A lot of you that know me, you know that uh, my goal is to eat clean all week long. But on Sunday, Katie barred the door. I'm telling you, I'm going to, it's going to be a year of Jubilee packed all into one day. And generally it's going to involve some pizza, uh, you know, and that will, that will happen today. I've already thought ahead. I've already like, okay, if I'm real good, then here's what's going to happen. And uh, generally it will involve uh, some ice cream. And uh, generally when it involves ice cream, it involves bluebell ice cream because that's one of the few ice creams that are actually made in heaven itself. Wave at me, all right? So that's how I was feeling a little bit. And then all of a sudden in our freezer this week, this week, something appears there that has never been there before. And it's these little ice cream bars, small, but they're kind ice cream bars, K-I-N-D. How many of you know the, the kind bars, the normal bars you see and you know where there's, but this is now, now kind has come out with an ice cream bar. And you know, I'm not sure how it got in my freezer. I'm not sure if it was our daughter, Audrey. Uh, that's a possibility because she was talking about them and how good and where she's heard about them and how good they are. It, it could have been uh, Audrey. It, it could have been the devil literally put them in our freezer. That's a real possibility. But then I ate one and and now I'm thinking maybe it wasn't Audrey. Maybe it wasn't the devil. Maybe it was an angel that put them in the freezer. And, And you know, it wasn't Sunday and it wasn't, it wasn't Bluebell, but I opened the freezer and, and I just thought, well, I've heard about these things. No, 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 no. It's not Sunday. It's not Sunday. It's not Sunday. I can't have one. I can't have one. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, you can. Yes, I did. 
I did. I just need to confess, get that out into the open. It just helps me to purge my soul. But not only, again, it's not Sunday. It is not Sunday. It is a day when I should be eating clean like the other six days. But I had one that night. And that's a problem. But it's not as big as problem is the fact that I had another one the next night. I am so glad. I don't know where they went, but they're gone. Glory to God in the highest and on peace. You know, they're gone. They're gone. But what I want to do in the next few minutes together, I want to give you seven action steps. Seven action steps on helping you and I, because all of us need this, to develop greater levels of self-control. So if you're a note taker or you've got your phone, you've got your tablet, you want to write something down, uh, I want to give you seven action steps that I think will be helpful to you and to me because all of us need it to develop self-control. Number one, here it is, right out of the gate, admit that you have a problem. Just go ahead and admit that you have a problem. In fact, if you're seated, you don't want to do it this if you don't know the person next to you. But if you know the person next to you, uh, look at them real quick and say, just, it, it will be good. Just say, I have a problem. All right? Just look at them. Just say, I have a problem. I don't hear you doing that. All right. Good, good, good. And then look back at them uh, for clarification's sake and say, and you're not it. You're not it. It's, it's me. I have a problem and you're not it. Admit that you have a problem. Why not? Why wouldn't we do that? Because the reality is, listen now, listen, we all have problems. We all have problems in some way or the other. Some problems are bigger than others. Some problems have lasted longer than others, but we all have problems. But a lot of times we don't admit that we have problems. Instead of admitting that we have a problem, you know what we often do? We deny. I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem. I can stop this whenever I want to stop it. I can be done with this. I mean, it is not a problem. It's not a problem. And we deny. Or we pretend that we don't have a problem. And we overlook it and we minimize it. So we don't admit oftentimes that we've got a problem. We deny. We pretend. We blame. Well, you know, it's their fault. Had they not done this, then I wouldn't do what I... Had I not been raised, had I not had the parents, had I not been in this situation, had I not had this job, you know. And so we blame others or we rationalize it. And we deserve to have this problem. And we can have this problem. Uh, Let's be really honest about this, all right? We need to be really honest. Why is it that you do the things you do and I do the things that I do and we know that some of those things are bad for us? Why do we do those things? Here's the answer. You ready? This is not, this is not complex. This is not rocket science. It's actually quite simple. Why do we do the things sometimes that we know are bad for us? Here's the reason. Because we want to. We like to. I, can I just tell you this? Somebody says, uh, you can even, have you ever heard somebody say, like, sin's not, uh, sin's just not fun. Listen, sin is fun. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Sin is fun. If it wasn't fun, it would have no allurement to it. You know, uh, sin, why, why can some sins be so tempting to us? Why? Because, you know, we have desires and we have these inclinations and, and it's fun. At least it's initially fun. You know, the scriptures talk about sin has, you know, pleasure for time. And, and, you know, we don't always follow it out, the whole end game. And we just think, well, it's fun. And, you know, this is great. But we don't see the destructive path that it actually puts us on. I want you to look at this verse up here on the, on the screen. James chapter 1 and verse 14 says, we are tempted by, look at this phrase, by our own desires. 
See, I can't blame somebody else for my problem. I, well, I'm going to rationalize it. I'm going to deny it. I'm going to pretend. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, you know, just not even admit fully that I've got a problem. But the reality is all of us, all of us are tempted by our own desires. We can't blame the devil. We can't blame somebody else. We're tempted by our own desires that drag us off and trap us. Again, initially, it doesn't feel that bad, but then you saw the language drags us off, traps us, gets us in a place where we don't want to be. So all of us have a problem, and we should say, Jeff, I am the exception to that. Speak for you, big boy. I don't have a problem. If you say you don't have a problem, you've got a problem. And it's an honesty problem. Admit it. So if all of us have problems, what's yours? Admit it. And some of you would say, ah, all right, if I'm going to admit it to myself, I've got an eating problem. I've got an eating problem. Or I've got a drinking problem. Or I've got a problem with pornography. Or I've got an anger problem. Or I've got a spending problem. Be specific. Be specific. Admit your problem. That's number one. Admit it to God. Admit it to yourself. And then hold on to that thought until we get to number five. All right? We'll sort of come back to this. Number two. All right? Action steps to developing greater levels of self-control. Number two, put your past in the past. Put your past in the past. Why is this so important? Because if we have failed at something in the past, and all of us have, it's easy to convince ourselves that we're a failure. And a lot of times it looks like this, and, and we say it, maybe not out loud, but we say it in our mind, we say it in our heart. We say something like this, I can never change. This has been the way I've always been, and I guess until my dying day, this is the way I'm always going to be. I could never change. Or I've tried before. You know, I wanted, I wanted to start this before, to stop this, whatever it is, and I've tried before, and I can't stay with it, and I know I can, or I say I'm not going to do it again, and I've said that a lot of times. I just, I've tried so many times before, I just can't stop. Or my situation is hopeless. My situation is different than the situations that other people find themselves in and my situation is hopeless I can't do anything about it it's way too difficult or we lie to ourselves and we say I'm just a weak person I'm always been a weak person I'm always going to be a weak person and this is just who I am put your past in the past even if you have failed in the past it does not mean that you are a failure you know what I've discovered in life? It's impossible to make forward progress and advancement if you're always looking in the rearview mirror. You can't, you can't, you can't move for forward motion and momentum. You cannot move forward with your life if you're always dwelling, looking back to your past, to your past. Now, uh, I can remember when I first started learning how to drive and that was, um, you know, I was 15 years of age. Uh, now, in Georgia, they do a lot of things different, you know, but the, they do make you wait until you're 15. You know, you can get married when you're 14, not really, but, uh, you know, when you're 15, you can get a learner's permit. And so uh, I actually taught because uh, one of the coaches at the high school that I knew really well, he taught driver's ed. And so he picked me and my buddy, Lonnie Wood, and... Uh, you know, Lonnie and I, and there was three in the driver's ed class, and this, but as far as the same vehicle, and uh, and so he picked 
me and Lonnie Wood, and then he picked this young lady who I'll not mention her name because you never know who's watching online, and you never know who's uh, back there somewhere in the past. And so uh, let me just say this as nicely as I know how. She could not drive. And I'm not talking, you know, gender because she was a female because, listen, 98.9% uh, of, uh, of, of ladies drive much better than I do. And how do I know that? Because my own family has a hard time getting in the car with me. One time many years ago, I, I, I had a momentary thought about getting a motorcycle. And I'm like, would anybody ride with me? And they're like, we'll barely get in the car with you, much less on a motorcycle. So it wasn't because of her gender. She was just, I guess, nobody. And so Lonnie and I would sit in the back seat, and it was an amazing thing. All I can say is thank God, and, and I'd never seen it before, but there was a break on the coach's side of the car, which was the passenger seat. Because she'd just run through stop signs and red lights, and, and we, he'd just locked that thing down. It just come to a screeching halt. Now, let me give her the benefit of the doubt, and that is because we were all learning how to drive in Atlanta, Georgia. How many of you have ever been through Atlanta? How many of you love the traffic in Atlanta, Georgia? And so that's where we did driver's ed. And that's where I was, you know, I had my learner's permit. And I can remember one time in particular talking about looking back, uh, it was time to merge in traffic. And, uh, you know, you, you got to look, you got to look in the rear view mirror. How many of you remember driver's ed, by the way? W wave your hand. Huh? You remember this? You remember you got to have your hands here and you got to look here and you got to look there. And, and then there's a blind spot. Remember, you got to turn and look. And so I'm, I'm learning how to drive in Atlanta, Georgia traffic, and it's time for me to learn how to merge in traffic. Now, here's a problem that I discovered. If you continually look back as you're trying to merge into Atlanta, Georgia traffic, it's hard to keep a straight line going forward. Now, if you think she scared everybody in the vehicle, I I was worse, I scared everybody in the vehicle because I was looking back to make sure everything was clear, just looking back, looking back, looking back, and about to cause all kind of devastation in front of me. Now, why do I mention that? See, a lot of times we can't move forward with our life because we're struggling with something that is in our past, something that we should have kept in the past, and it keeps encroaching itself on our future and trying to distract us from what is God's best plan for our life. And we want to go forward. We want to go forward. We want to move ahead. We know that that is best for our life, but we struggle because we're always looking in the past. Look at this verse up on the scripture. This is Paul, and this is what he tells us to do, this great church leader. He says we need to forget the past, and we need to strain toward what is ahead. And all I want to say uh, to you today, as lovingly as I can, forget the past. And you're like, well, Jeff, I can't fully forget the past. I know that it's sort of imprinted on our brain, but let me say it this way. Move beyond your past. Move beyond your past sins and your past mistakes and your past failures. Put your past in the past. It's one of the action steps that I think is helpful because if we've ever failed at anything, and all of us have, if we're not careful, we'll feel like I'm always going to be a failure. I'm always going to be weak. I'm never going to measure up. This will always be too difficult. Put the past in the past. Number three, refuse to be ruled by your feelings and emotions. Refuse to allow your emotions and your feelings to rule your life. 
You know, in today's culture, we often place way too much attention on our emotions. To be ruled by our emotions and feelings becomes a barricade to the path that leads to self-control. And I want to briefly explain it. I need to keep moving, but I need to pause here long enough to explain what I mean. See, if you're like me in this regard, I think you are. I do not always feel like doing the things that are best for me. Am I in good company right here? Am I in good company? I don't always feel like doing the things that are best for me. I don't always feel like going to the gym. I have to admit, most days I do. I do. But not every day. There's some days that, uh, you know, the alarm clock, you, if you've been around, you know that I just like getting up early and, and I do, my alarm clock goes off at 4.30, sometimes 4.15 if I have a little bit more to do. And, and a lot of times I'm like, I'm not just falling out of bed. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm eager to attack the day. I'm eager to go after, after the day. And most days, you know, I'm just eager to get up, get ready, go to the gym, get that done, you know, have it sort of checked. I've done it. Not wait for that to happen at the end of the day. And so uh, a lot of days, I've, but not every day. Now, how many of you know that for you, if you're a gym kind of person, you like going to the gym, how many of you know this? If you only went to the gym, and we're just using that for one example, if you only went to the gym on the days you felt like going to the gym, you'd probably go less days than what you're going right now. Would you admit just sort of wave at me right now? You know, there's a lot of things that we know are best for our life, but we don't always feel like doing them. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be really transparent with you. And you, when I say this, you're going to be like, you're a preacher. You should never admit that. Shame on you. What is wrong with you? But again, I'm, I'm, I'm just like you. I don't. Listen, little secret. Listen, don't let it out. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Those of you that are watching online, don't tell anybody. I don't feel like reading my Bible every single day. Is that okay to admit? I don't feel like reading it every day. Can I tell you, I've got days when I would rather read like a good novel because the Bible makes me think more than a good novel will. When I'm reading like a novel, I, I don't really have to think. I just have to get lost in the story. But, but the Bible, and, and I'm just telling you, uh, uh, sort of like the gym, most days I'm excited about reading the Bible. But there's sometimes I'd rather read something else. So what do you do? Guess what I do? Because I developed this spiritual practice that on the days I feel like it, and the days I don't feel like it, I'm still going to read the Bible because I believe in the importance of feeding myself spiritually and allow the Word of God to encourage me and sometimes convict me and sometimes guide me. But you know where I'm going with this. You and I, some of the things that are best for us are not always the easiest things to do. Uh, eating clean or praying or doing budget work, but you do it. Why do you do it? You do it because... You know, it's, it's necessary. You don't feel like doing it. Now, I know some of you get so excited about sitting down and doing budget work. You just love it. You're like, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to look at my bills. But why do, why do you do it? You do it because it's necessary, not because you feel like it. But in our culture especially, it's like, you know what? I'm going to go with what feels good to me. I'm just going to pay attention to my, my emotions. I'm going to allow them to rule my life rather than what I need to do. I'm going to allow what I feel like doing to rule my life. And that's a big mistake. Forget your feelings. Because re repeatedly, our emotions are inaccurate. 
and they're unreliable, and they're unpredictable, and they're erratic, and sometimes they're even harmful. I want you to look at this statement. Dr. James Dobson was a renowned Christian psychologist, and he says this. He said, emotions, emotions are unreliable, biased, whimsical. They lie as often as they tell the truth. They're manipulated by hormones, and they wobble dramatically from early morning when we're rested to the evening when we're tired. Look at these two verses. This is Titus, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. God's saving kindness has appeared for the benefit of all people. It trains us to uh, avoid ungodly lives filled with worldly desires so that we can live, how? Self-controlled, moral, and godly lives in this present world. It's teaching us how to do that. Guys, keep that up for just a moment. I want you to notice some of the language here. God's saving kindness. It's not saying God's anger makes me want to do the right thing. God's saving kindness helps me to be the me that I want to be. God's saving kindness helps me to avoid an ungodly life. It gives me the power to say no. It helps me to to live in such a way that I'm self-controlled and I'm not going to allow my life every day to be ruled by my emotions and feelings because, as Dobson said, they're whimsical. They fluctuate our hormones and everything else that's going on. No, we do not what's always easy to do, but we do what is right to do. So we may not feel like reading our Bible but we do it anyhow. And we may not feel like praying that day, but we do it anyhow. And we may not feel like getting up and going to the gym, but we do it now. Why? Because sometimes the things that are best for us are not always the easiest for us. And if we just lag around and waiting till we feel it, it may never happen. Number four, number four, and this is really, really important. Be sure you get this down. Embrace the truth that you can change. Embrace the truth that you can change. And we've talked about this before, but I want to mention it again briefly. The progression shouldn't be, and this is sort of tethered to what we just mentioned in number three, but uh, it shouldn't be like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have my feelings, and my feelings are going to dictate my actions. And that's the wrong, that's, that's wrong path to get on. So I'm just going to go with the whimsical nature of my feelings and emotions, and that I'm going to allow that to always dictate what I do. And again, Dobson said, you can't always trust your feelings. In fact, a lot of times you can't. And we know that's not. We've talked about that here before. Instead, it should be, here's what we're going to do. We're going to change in our thinking. We're going to be renewed in the mirror, uh, in the image of our mind. We're going to allow our mind to be renewed so that we think the right things. And listen, this is how it generally should work. We think the right things. And when we think the right things, it causes us often to have the right feelings or emotions about something. And then it's, it's fine to then flow into action out of that. A person may say, in this matter of embracing the truth that we can change, a person may say this, and I hear it all the time, I could never change. I've been this way. It's the way I was raised. It's the way my family is. It's who we all are. I could never change. And a person says that. I've heard that a lot of times. I've also heard people say, you know what? With God's help, I can most definitely change. One person says, I can't change. I can never change. Another person says, I can most definitely change. Now, let me tell you something interesting about that. Both of them are right. Are you with me on that? Does that make sense? 
Both of them are absolutely right. Because if I'm spending my time, I can't change, I can't change, I can't change, I can't change. You know what I do? I convince myself that I can't change, that I can't become the me that I really want to be, that the way that I am is the way that I'm always going to be, whether I like being that or not. And we say, I can't change, I can't change. And we self-talk in a negative vein, and we tell ourselves long enough, I can't change, I can't change. And guess what? We never change. On the other hand, a person says, you know what? I can't do it by myself, but with God's help, I can change. I know I don't like what I'm doing right now. I don't want to do this the rest of my life. I don't want to be remembered by this. I want to start doing the things that are going to be most beneficial for my life. I know that there are some destructive habits that I have in my life that are not good for me, and it's not good for my kids to see me doing, and I'm going to stop these things, and, you know, and they just have confidence that they're going to be able to change. And you know what? They'll find a way. They just simply will with God's help to change. See, God has given us everything that we need to develop self-control. God has given us everything that we need to avoid being trapped by the evil one. Look at this verse up on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 says, God is faithful. God is faithful. We saw in Titus 2, 11 and 12 earlier, God is kind, but God is also faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than we can stand. When we are tempted, he will show us a way out. He'll show us that we can get out of that. And, and you know what? Can I just say this? And I know that this talk is not just specifically about temptation, but guess what? However you are most being tempted, there are other people that are being tempted just the same way you are. Well, this is unique. Nobody in the whole world has ever been tempted the way I am. It's just me. It's just me. Nobody else has ever faced. Well, that simply is not true. Everybody's been tempted. Uh, everybody, not every person, but a lot of people have been tempted the same way that you're being tempted now, the way I, I'm tempted. We're all going to be tempted. And we're not all like, hey, this has never happened to anybody else before. But the promise from God is this. Anytime you're tempted, here's the reality. There's always going to be a way out. Well, I didn't have a choice in the matter. I just, I had to cave. No, 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 no. We choose to cave, but we didn't have to cave. Always, there's always going to be a way out. And I want you to hear this loud and clear before we move on to number five. You do not have to be what you've been. And you do not have to keep doing what you've done, even if you've done it a thousand times. Instead, you can be the one that you want to be. You can change. You can change. And you've got to resonate with that. You can't be the person over here. I can't change. I've always been this way. It's the way I was raised. It's always going to be. I've always struggled with this. I'll never be able to change. Too difficult. You've got to change your mindset, your thinking and say, I can change. I can change. I don't always have to be this way. I can be, with God's help, the me I want to be. I love this verse. Look at this one up on the screen. This is Paul again. Look at what he says. He says, I can do all things through Christ because he gives me strength. Number five, I need to hurry. Make yourself. These are action steps to develop greater levels of self-control. Number five, Make yourself accountable to a friend. We all have problems, right? Okay. Only 15 of us do. We all have problems, right? We all have problems. Some of you are thinking, Jeff, you're a problem for me right now, right now, about right now. You're stirring all this stuff. You're a problem. You're my problem. We all have problems. Remember, number one, admit that we have a problem. Admit it to God. And sometimes that involves confession. 
we confess our sin, if it's sin that we need to admit, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So sometimes our admission to God about our problem, if it's sin, it's a matter of confession. And then if we're authentic in that, it's the receptivity of the forgiveness of God. So we admit it to God, and that's important. But we also, as we talked about it, number one, we admit it to ourselves. And that's just having the self-awareness that says, I do have a problem. And I can pretend I don't, and I can try to rationalize and justify it and blame, do all these kind of things. But the fact of the matter is, I have a problem. So we admit it to God, we admit it to ourselves. Next, you need to admit it to a trustworthy, authentic, confidential friend. And it generally goes something like this. I need your help. I need you to help me to become the me that I really want to be. I really want to do better in this area of my life. And I need you to help me. Sort of the buddy system. A friend system. I need you to help me. Will you do that? Will you pray for me? When I'm discouraged, when I, you know, have a misstep, mishap, misstep, will you, will you encourage me to get back on the right path? Will you, will you ask me how I'm doing? Will you check on me? And, and I wish I had more time, and you're going to hear me between now. I've got about four months to just talk about it, talk about it, and you're going to hear me talk about it, talk about it some more where we're going with small groups in the fall and we're going to do them bigger and we're going to do them better than we've ever been before because we all need friends and we all need relationships and we all need to grow in Jesus. And a lot of times those kind of relationships emerge out of small groups where we just sort of connect with everybody or somebody. We're not going to connect with everybody, but we connect with somebody and somebody that we feel we can confide in, somebody we can trust, and they just sort of prove they're that kind of person. I want you to check out these two verses. I love these. These are great verses straight out of the Bible. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says this, two people can resist an attack that would defeat one person long, alone. So something that may, could defeat you all by yourself with a friend, you can resist that kind of attack. Look at this next verse, Galatians 6.2, by helping each other with your troubles. Remember, we all have problems. We all have trouble. By helping each other with your troubles, you truly obey the law of Christ. One writer said this, accountability is a tool and a gift we give to one another to try to realize the growth that we can never have all by ourselves. Hey, will you help me? I can't do this by myself. Will you pray for me? Will you encourage me if I, if I stumble? Will you ask me how I'm doing? Will you hold me accountable? Will you be confidential? Will you be the kind of friend I need you to be. Number six, stay away from the things that tempt you. That's so simple, but it can't be understated. What do we need to get rid of? What do we need? Maybe you're thinking even right now, and I started having that thought this week. What do I need to get rid of? Those kind bars that Audrey or devil or the angel put in my freezer. I got to get rid of them. And so I did. I ate every last one of them. Oh, I did. I wanted to. Oh, Lord knows I wanted to. What do you need to get rid of? Maybe you need to go home and maybe you need to get rid of that box of cookies you stashed away that nobody but you and Jesus knows that you have hidden. And you've hid it so well, Jesus is like, I'm not quite sure. Well, you, that was pretty good. So get rid of them. All right, listen, listen, listen. If you feel like while you're walking to the trash can, you need to take one more bite, do it. Go ahead and get it out of your system. But do it. What do you need to get rid of? 
Maybe it's not ice cream. Maybe it's not cookies. Maybe you need to get rid of those credit cards. Hmm. Oh, Jeff, move on, move on. You're my problem, Jeff. You're my problem. Maybe you need to get rid of your computer. I'll never do that, and I know you're not going to get rid of your computer. Maybe you won't get rid of your computer, but maybe you'll put some software on your computer that blots you from looking at some of the junk you're looking at. Oh, he's meddling now. I wish he'd move on. Well, while I'm meddling, maybe you need to get rid of that last liquor bottle in the back of the pantry. You admitted at some point that you've got a problem and that it was taking you down a path and it was becoming destructive to your life, maybe to your relationships, maybe to your career, maybe to some area of your life. And you're like, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Can I just ask you a question? Then why are you got it back there? Well, I just can't bring myself to part with it. Oh, yeah, you can. Maybe you need to get rid of that stash of pain pills that you just find it. Maybe you need to get some help with that. Stay away from the things that tempt you. Ephesians 4 says this. Look at verse 27. Do not give the devil a way to defeat you. Wave at me if you believe he's always looking for a way to defeat us. You believe that? He always is. He's relentless. He's a lot more relentless, actually, than you and I quite often are. You may need, and I don't say this, I don't say this haphazardly. I'm not just throwing it out. It's not just preacher talk because really I've got a lot of friends that are far from God. I do. I've got a lot of friends that are far, 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 far from God. But the difference, I don't allow them to negatively influence my life. And I don't say this privately, but maybe you're not in a place of a position of strength right now where you can like, because it's like, you know, I want to I do right and I don't want to do that, but it's just like when I get around them, I just... And so maybe you need to sever ties for a while. Do a time out for a while. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says this. Look at it up here on the screen. It says, bad company corrupts good character. And I'm not one of these guys that just said, when you become a Christian, get rid of all your non-Christian. I've got tons of non-Christian friends. But I don't allow them to influence my life. In fact, let you in on a little secret. I maintain these friendships because I want to influence them in the other direction. Does that make sense? But if you feel that you're not strong enough to do that yet, well, then just do a timeout. You can always re-engage in that friendship later. Listen carefully to Proverbs 12, 26. The righteous choose their friends carefully. They just do. Do you know that the devil is called the tempter and the accuser? Did you know that? Can I tell you why? He's called the tempter because he's always trying to lure. Remember, he's always, you remember the scripture, you just saw it a moment ago, what the evil one is always trying to do. Don't give the devil a way to defeat you because he wants to. Can I just tell you, he hates you. He hates you, especially if you're a Christian. He hates you because you're a child of his arch enemy. And he hates you. Jesus made it very clear when he said in John's gospel, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so he is the tempter. So he's always in this matter of allurement, and he's always trying to trap us, and he's always trying to get us in a position where he can destroy us, and he's the tempter. But you know what is unique? This is how sinister. This is why I hate him so. And I, I rarely use the word hate, but let me go on record. I hate the devil. I hate the devil out of the devil. 
I hate the devil because of what I see. That he's, and you know what, what is amazing? He's not only the tempter who lures, 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 traps, traps, and then destroys. But you know, he's also the accuser that once he lures you and you do it, then he starts accusing you. God's mad at you. I can't believe you did that. You're such a failure. You're such a loser. You're never going to be forgiven of that. I hate it the way he works. He tempts, and then we succumb to it, and then he accuses us, and why would God want? And it's, it's just crazy. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Number seven, and lastly, we need to tap into God's power. Tap into the power of God to help you. And we're about out of time, but I want to just give you this example because it will help you. Some time ago, um, I mentioned the gym a couple of times, and I do love going to the gym. And I was at the gym, and I was laying on the bench, and I couldn't see anything that was going on behind me. And I was going for that sort of that last rep, and it was like tough, 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 heavy, heavy, heavy. And then all of a sudden, I heard this voice, and it was somewhat familiar to me, and I came to understand why. And it was this, this voice behind me, and uh, he was like pushing my arms here to just give me that last rep. And, and I just heard this voice behind me say, come on, pastor, come on, pastor, you can do it. And he's pushing, pushing, pushing. I finally, and I got it up, got it back down, and, and I turned around, and, and it was my buddy, Sean Michaels, and a lot of you know him. And I said, thank you, man, thank you. Dude, I couldn't have done that without you. I couldn't have got that 320 pounds up without you. No way. No way. Okay, maybe I can't count those plates. Maybe it was a little less than that. But, but you get the point. It's like, I, had he not got in there, come on. You can, and, and gave me that boost to get that final rep. I could have never done it alone. I needed to tap into somebody else's power. In this case, it was, was my buddy, Sean. Every day, you and I need to tap into the power of God. Look at Galatians 5, 16 up here on the screen. Let the Holy Spirit guide your life, and you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. And uh, guys, keep that up for just a moment, and I need to mention this, and then I'm done. Paul is actually, when he makes this statement, writing to followers of Jesus in this verse. But did you notice, and you see it there, his language, your sinful nature. He is not talking to non-Christians. He is not talking about people that are far from God. He's talking to Christians. And if I had time to talk about it, I'd talk about how we're saved if we're a Christian and we're redeemed. And we know that we've got a reserved spot in heaven and our sins have been forgiven because of the shed blood of Jesus. But it does not eradicate that old sinful nature. In fact, you see that other word that is in there, craves. Are, are there still cravings? Yes. Are there still desires? Yes. Are there still temptations? Yes. But that's the exact reason why you and I need the power of God. Because there's times in our life where the thing that we want to do and the person that we want to become and the me that I want to be, I try as hard as I can to do it all on my own, but I can't. And I just need to tap into the power of God. I really like what someone has said. The church is not a hotel for saints, but a hospital for sinners. People just like you and me. Well, I stand. We're out of time. How many of you know I could keep going? But I won't. I'm done. But I want you to see one last verse before we take communion. Guys, if you throw it up here. I love this verse. You need to embrace this. Here's the good news. God is working in you. God is working in you to make you willing and able to obey him. God's not done with you. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you a little bit of instruction. 
about communion, and then we're going to receive it. If you're here today and you just say, you know what, Jeff? Man, dude, you've been, you've been reading my mail today. How did you? And I don't, but God does. And he loves you. It's just what his way of saying, I love you, and I know what you're going through. You're not by yourself. You don't always have to be what you've been, and you don't always have to do what you've done. You can become the me. This is what God would say, the me that you want to be, the me that I want you to become. It begins by making a commitment to Christ. The Bible says if any person be in Christ, the old things are passed away, everything becomes new, and while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, whether you're in this auditorium right here or you're watching online, if you'd say, Jeff, I'm not a Christian yet, and I don't even all know all that that means, but man, I need to get started. I need to take a step in the right direction. I want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, would you just, while nobody's looking around, just lift up your hand real quick, real quick, wave it at me, wave it, wave it, wave it, and you can put it right back down. And so God, for those that are saying to you today, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Come into my life. Make me a a brand new person. God, I just pray. I just pray that we will know that, that we will know your love, we'll know your grace, we'll know your forgiveness, and that you want to help us, that you are not against us, but quite the opposite. You are for us. And for that, we give you praise. And everybody said, Well, you have, or at least I hope you have. You should receive when you came in the elements of communion. It is a symbol. See, here's what's going to happen. Today, actually, and this doesn't often happen, there's two symbols of the church. There's the symbol of the Lord's Supper, communion. And that's when we remember what Jesus did for us. When we take that little wafer, it represents his body. We remember his body and the brokenness of his body, everything that he went through for us. When we drink that juice, it is a symbol of his shed blood. And when we drink it, Jesus said, we do so in remembrance of him. In fact, Paul said it this way. He said, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. When he had given thanks, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this. So you can peel that first little layer back in that little wafer. And when you take it, you remember everything that Jesus went through in his body the same way he took the cup also after supper saying this cup is a new covenant into my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes you may partake of the cup